All right, well, welcome back uh, to another episode of Midlife Crisis. Um, I'm joined again by uh, my good friends, Steve and Jeff, who uh, uh, apparently just celebrated a birthday not too long ago. Happy birthday, Jeff. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Tell you what, what, what year that's, that's marking. <laughs> yeah, no need to get into the yeah. details, right? But you had fun. Something. Yeah. You no, guys had fun last night. Yeah, we did. Is it still considered midlife? I think so, technically. All right. Yeah. All right. So then, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, if if I was eighty, I'd still like right. to say that that's midlife. There you go. All those all supplements right. I take, you know, I want yeah. to know that, that investment's worth the money. So, you know, there's that um, podcaster Dave Asprey who claims he's going to live till 180. So, you know, you're you're still a child, you know, in that <laughs> that one. Yeah. In many ways. Yes. yes. In yeah. many ways. We we all are. Well, cool. Um, and then. Uh, Steve, we didn't hear too much about kind of your project, your SaaS that you're working on. I kind of went into a lot about mine last last week and kind of gave the whole spiel. But I thought we thought kind of maybe it'd be fun to hear more about the the origins, the origin story, and also like before the origin story of even this SaaS, maybe the entrepreneurial story. Um, and I, I know there's a there's some interesting stuff that that happens. So you know, I think we both love to hear that. So, and maybe our listeners as All well. Right, yeah. All right. So I, I can jump in. So I think the, I guess we can maybe go back to like 2015. So I had been working in tech forever since the 2000s. And then from there, you know, I, I was always looking for, I don't know, I felt like there had to be a better way, like some, some way that didn't involve me working 80 hour weeks, right? I was really getting burned out and, Around that time, actually, Jeff introduced me to a book, The Millionaire Fastlane, which is kind of an oxymoron of a name, but it it ended up leading me down a bunch of rabbit holes and in which one of them was e-commerce. I got into e-commerce. I had a pretty substantial business. I had a number of employees, was able to leave my day job. And, you know, I did a lot of stuff on Amazon and that was one of the number one rules in the millionaire fast lane is don't rely on Amazon sort of. Um, and I did. And then, you know, they, they shut down one of my kind of primary products and overnight, you know, my, my revenue just gets cut in half and trying to still manage employees and, you know, having tips coming with containers full of more product that I, I wasn't able to do anything with. Are you comfortable that. sharing what the product was? Um, not Something. not yet. Um, okay, like, it's still kind of it, it was this is back in the day, but it's still kind of being. Um... It, it's back in the day. I mean, so I, I guess it was like garden hoses, if we could say that. Um, and so, anyways, there was some some situations like some. There was a lot of people that were, I guess, leaving unique reviews. Like, for example, like my host started on fire. Well, I, I don't know how, right? And and so that they were kind of playing with the AI or with the, with the, I guess, whatever automation Amazon had. And actually what's funny is, you know, it, it took me a long time to get everything reinstated for the listings, but just a couple of weeks ago, you know, so I'm still on Amazon for some, we have a couple stores still. And one of my products got flagged as a pesticide and it, it it's not like it, it, it's really weird. Somehow they just said it was a pesticide. 
And so I'm like, oh crap, this again. And turns out- This is recently? The, yeah, this was actually oh, like no. two weeks okay. ago. Oh, wow. And so they, they're like, your product is a pesticide. You need to get it, whatever you need to, you're not approved for this category. And so immediately I'm just like, oh crap. Oh my gosh. And then I open a case and I'm like, it's not a pesticide. What do you mean? Like you have kind of the COAs, the MSDS, all that stuff. And then literally they were like, oh, we're sorry. And they just unblocked my listing. So it was the weirdest thing. Like I was expecting this huge fight. Uh, all right. So, but kind of back to that, um, I was able to quit my job previously and, you know, things were going pretty good. You know, I, I'd found some form of freedom. I think you just kind of realized like I didn't need to work 80 hours to make a, a reasonable salary. And after, after all that stuff, you know, then Amazon shut down some of my listings and things started going awry and I can't make payroll. And, you know, I, I eventually come crawling back to working a job and so you had quit your job just to, yeah, I, at some point. I was, I had too much work. Like I had to actually quit my job, like to, to take on and manage all this stuff. So it was, it was pretty cool. It was fun. And then, and was your primary income coming from Amazon at the time or was that kind of growing? Yeah. And, and did you have, okay. So it was your primary income. Yeah. It, it was a substantial amount of my income just came from, from Amazon. So it, it was, it was pretty cool. It was really fun. I, I was introduced to like, there, there is another path, right? So I think that like awoken me to like, I don't, I don't need to work 80 hours and like my, my time isn't necessarily tied to my income. And so once I, once I realized that it was, it was great, then, you know, that kind of flopped or I learned a lot of lessons. And then after that, went back to a job and then I, I, I mean, I'm still in e-commerce and I've kind of realized though, like, it's not where my heart is, right? Like I don't, I don't love it. And I, I do love technology. And that's where I have a lot of my experience. I can deal with a lot of it. I mean, through my day job, I deal with it all the time. So finding something now that I can, I can work on and I guess push through the, the hard times because even the hard times are kind of fun still. And so that's where this new SaaS is coming in. I've sort of decided like, I'm just going to go with the SaaS, sticking with it for three years and, you know, we'll, We'll see where it goes. The only way I can quit is through an exit or by automating it or I guess starting another thing, but I have to do it for three years and it has to be self-sustaining. So that's the kind of the goal. Um, what led me into this, so I've, I'm creating a podcasting platform and it's kind of a mix between an agency and a, I guess a platform. Like the, the goal is to make podcasting easy and everything I seem to find, you know, when my wife was just starting out, she was creating this podcast and everything was so, so complicated. You and know, her podcast to, is, is what uh, you, you told me, but can you remind me? Oh it, yeah. It, it's about, it, it's about florists and, you know, she helps florists kind of scale their businesses and optimize hmm. all that stuff. So she, uh, did she, has she been in that industry as well as a florist? Um, throughout this whole time as, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. so she, she's okay. been a florist for 25 years. Got it. Okay. And so she's been doing the podcast now for a little over a year. Wow. Okay. And when, when she started, yeah, actually she, she had meant to start probably a good year before that. It's, it's just, there was all of these things, right? So you need to edit the podcast. You need to do all these, like write the show notes, create all of this stuff, and then you need a place to host it and, and all this, all of these things. And it comes down to, you know, she, she was like, okay, maybe I just need an agency and 
all that other stuff. And then she has an agency and there's a lot of situations there with like some of the quality of what can get done or what doesn't get done. And I just like, this can't be that hard. And so I, one day I'm, she's like, I need to add these intros or something. I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's do it really quick in Python here. And all of a sudden we have this, okay, here, here's your editing done, like with one command. So at that point, I figured this could be something. And if, if, if for nothing else, like if it helps her, and I also have some other friends who want to use this. So it's, it's more of like, I'm able to help people that I know. And I feel like there's other people that could be in the market for it as well. So that's, I guess that's kind of the, the lead into it. A lot of frustration, uh, seeing a lot of people being confused about this stuff and even some of the stuff with lock-in. So, I mean, we, like Jeff and I, we come from the open source world. And so I don't want somebody to be locked in to, to our software. And if, if it's not serving you, if it's not doing what you need, I don't want you to have to stay with something that sucks. And so I think kind of on two sides, it, it keeps me accountable to making sure I am providing the value that you need. Otherwise you can leave. And I, what does I that mean? Like in. when you, cause with open source, like that's something that, you know, um, can exist in many different forms. Like for instance, I, you know, my SAS is built on all open source software, but it's not available to download and self-host as an open source. So is it open source or is it not? I mean, it's a good question. So, but yeah. yeah, for yours, are you basically giving them the option potentially to take the entire automation and take it somewhere else? Or are you just, when you say you can take it if you want, are you just making sure that they have access to their own content? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of clarify. So there is a self-hosted option. Um, but right now, the, the software itself isn't open source. My okay. my key there is th there's no lock-in. So you can choose to host it somewhere else. So I, I will do kind of, it, it's maybe a suite of tools that do a bunch of things. We can host it, or you can host it, or there's integrations with other popular podcast hosting platforms. And th that's really the thing is we want it to just work for you, kind of come in and plug in wherever Good. you're at and simplify things for you. So are so, you imagining it to be kind of we were talking about um, like Kubernetes or whatever last time. Are you imagining it to be something like a Docker or Kubernetes where you could literally just take the package, go to any host you want or any infrastructure or service and run all the, the scripts and stuff like that out of the box? Or are you, are you thinking of it more as um, they kind of have to rebuild it um, and all the different components? But, and also, why I'm also curious, like, why are you going that? Why, why is that important to you? Uh, besides just kind of being involved in that community, I guess is there is there a benefit for the for the customer that you see that would be compelling? Because it seems like a lot. To, you know, to be honest, it seems like a lot of work when I see SaaS kind of go the route from the beginning of um, being uh, having a self-hosted option where they have to support a kind of like a all the complexity of different infrastructure systems right right combined with the actual hosting of their own you know they have they have half the customers they're they're providing the actual service for on maybe aws and then you have like a handful of customers that want to use DigitalOcean. someone else wants to use vulture and it's like now you're spending like double the time with tickets helping helping them kind of deal with strange variables that you didn't expect on different infrastructures what what's your thought on like what the, the benefits versus the, you know, 
the cost of that. Yes. So kind of to go back. So so first, it's not by default, it is hosted, right? It's a service we provide. You come to our website, you sign up. We do all that for you. Um, it, it is. So by nature, I guess for me, it, it's really easy to containerize everything. So right now, everything just can natively run in Kubernetes. There's nothing to me. There's nothing complicated about that. And so like I have all that, but now in realizing that if somebody were to want to self-host this, right, it would be a, it would be a special thing. It wouldn't be necessarily the, the thing for today, but at some point down the line, if, if there was some agency that wanted to use the software, when they wanted to like self-host it or, or white label it, there may be an option that they could literally just take it and run it wherever they want. Right. I mean, I can, I can run it anywhere. And so that's the, I guess that's the beauty of it right now. Um, and, and I think some of the benefit there, um, you know, when we've talked about it is, you know, say, say this service uh, is competing, you know, like the problems you had with Amazon, you know, shutting you down or having a single route to the marketplace, um, you know, with the open part of it, um, you can move it wherever you want. You're not locked into a particular hosting uh, site, you, you know, say you're doing business with a company that absolutely, you know, they're in retail and they absolutely don't want to use Amazon because, you know, big, bad Amazon, um, as far as retail competition, that doesn't bother you. You could host this at any provider. In fact, you could do some due diligence and make sure that your pricing is, remains competitive, um, and pick the, you know, the, the hosting agency that you want to provide more flow down or trickle down value to the customer too. Um, oh, right. absolutely. Makes yeah, sense. So yeah. it keeps you competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess going kind of back to the open source thing, right? Like I, sometimes like people end up getting locked into software, right? We use things that we don't necessarily like, but like, for example, I use Evernote. I've been using Evernote for like 12 or 13 years. I've been trying to move to other things. I just have so much automation, so much of my life processes are tied into Evernote, even though it, it continuously gets worse, like every update. And so being able to, to move away from that, like I don't want to have somebody locked in and just using something because they feel they have to. So if I, if I suck, if the product sucks, if it doesn't work for them, I, I don't want them using it. Right. It has to be a good fit. And yeah. And so like, that's really the big thing is the customers will keep me accountable, right? Like if I'm okay. not providing for them, I don't want, I want them to be able to move their podcast somewhere else. I want them to be able to use other things if we're not doing what they need. And, you know, I guess that's a big part of the open, the openness yeah. of it is you're able to move your stuff. There is no vendor lock-in. And I, I well, see that a lot. That'll be interesting to see. Um, so I keep part of this kind of, as we do this project, this podcast project will be will be it'll kind of like this is for those who are listening and have been in the entrepreneurial world you've heard of something called a mastermind so we'll kind of see as this as this goes along um hopefully we'll have some mastermind aspects where we question each other on some stuff but i i will i'm a big um so that said i'm a big fan of open source all you know for even with my our main website i hosted in wordpress now there's more efficient ways of hosting a website. You know, you could build it out in React or whatever. But why do I like WordPress? I just like it because it's the same idea of like, I can, well, I'm also, I'm kind of, I build WordPress plugins as well. So I'm, I'm definitely like got a foot in there. And I, 
I have a tendency to appreciate the model of like, oh, you know, if you don't want to use WordPress.com, use the package of WordPress. Yeah, you put on, you could put an any host, or you could, you could put it in a Docker or a Kubernetes, um, and it's a it's a neat thing. That said, I am aware that sometimes. You know, I look at other SaaS and I'm like, you know, no one's using WordPress for, for their main website. They're building it up from as a static site. And it's a lot faster. There's like pros and cons, you know. And so I, I think we all have this bias within us about what our experiences are. So because I came from sort of like, um, I went from a very traditional Microsoft shop of IT to to being on my own, and I and I was I jumped into the open source world and I began began to be thrilled by it. But um, I guess what I would say is. My only concern would be um, with starting out that way as a bootstrapped would be just the toll of supporting both. I, I did like what, you're, what you said about like maybe certain agencies that are big enough to be able to kind of handle their own technical support could take it from you and maybe for a special price they could self-host it if that was important to them. But I, um, I would be concerned that you'd get yourself into like, you know, a bunch of busy work supporting like guys that are cheap that just want to like host this on yeah own, right? yes so that that wouldn't be the the case for sure like and, and so that's the it would literally be like some really high end tier where you're hosting this yourself like it would, again it has yeah. to be worth it right i mean it's true and it has to make sense and you know maybe five years from now we open source it all and people can just have it and then they they maintain it but today for like what i'm building you know it, it is portable as it is so that is like one benefit and so there yeah if if it comes to the point where somebody wants to self-host it and you know they want to pay some some large fee because it makes sense for them then for sure but i mean we we deal with that kind of all day with we have a, a all different customers that use all different platforms and yeah like it is really it is really a challenge to manage that and so in our in our very short amount of time that we have to work on this we we don't want to be stuck in the busy work of trying to troubleshoot like, oh, Azure does it this way, AWS right. does it that way. And yeah. So, well, also so it's at first it won't be. Because like if you look at the history, I would just listen to uh, Bill Gurley. If you guys know Bill Gurley, is like a fa fairly famous yep. VC. Um, and he was on the Tim Ferriss show not too long ago. He actually talked about Kubernetes. So you guys might like that episode quite a bit. And he kind of used okay. it as an example of the open source, like a great model for open source. But it was interesting, he made a point which I'd never really thought about before, which was a lot of times with the open source kind of strategy, because he was talking about startups that use an open source strategy versus a closed source strategy and why why some of them work and why they don't. But his reasoning was um, that like with Google, when they created, when they started the Kubernetes project, they had to fight, I can't remember what the other, what's the other big one, is it Docker? Is it, is it Docker? So they'd be like, would have probably been like Swarm or Mesos or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, it was some sort of proprietary, it was not an open one. Yep. And they were kind of trying to get that, they were trying to like, not have to rely on that other proprietary system, so they decided to create their own open source. And they gave so much money to it because they had such a big competitor already in the space that the only way to kind of like break down that competitor was bringing in an open source kind of version that companies could say, oh, well, this is free or cheap or whatever. And that's kind of the way that they broke that down and broke, like a broke the foothold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so is it, yeah, it, I don't it, have billions of dollars yet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing too is like, yet. but with yours, with your product too, what you're describing to me sounds pretty novel. Like, you, like 
if there's no other like i've looked at a lot of podcasting services and sasses i haven't seen one that's as ambitious as what you seem to be thinking about which is kind of end-to-end production of content and distribution and all the stuff in between doing a lot of the human work for you with an automated system that now is able to do with ai so you know that's another thing to think about is like in terms of strategy if you had like 10 competitors out there that are like dominated the market and none of them were were open source and you brought the open source and you know to to throw that in there suddenly that gains some traction because that's like that's the unique differentiator but with you you do have that kind of advantage of not even needing that that could be an option for you but it's not it doesn't seem to me like that's critical if what you're bringing is so unique already to the market which which is cool yeah so i i guess i'm i'm glad you think that because like i'm I, I am excited there. I, I'm pretty sure there, there's a market. I, everybody that, you know, I, I know who uses podcasts is kind of committed to to coming my way. And it, it's not necessarily for like really big podcasters. So Tim Ferriss probably wouldn't, wouldn't move his stuff. Joe Rogan probably yeah. not going to move here. But, you know, it, it's more to help kind of the the, the person who, who has that story. They want to share it. But it, it, it's just such a pain for them to do it, right? And they don't want to hire an agency and do all this other stuff. And that's where like kind of with our AI assisted sort of offering, it really helps make things easier for them. And that's, that, that's really the goal is yeah, you know, everybody's got friction. a story to share and we want to make it easy for you to, to put it out there. Yep. Reducing friction, right? Whether it's using open source on the back end or not, think about the, the friction or the follow down, you know, margin that can get eroded. If you're having to pay for, even proprietary things in your workflow behind podcasts. Well, now you've got to charge more because you're paying for components. Um, with open source, you know, what you're paying for is the integration work, you're feeding back into the community that's building a component that you're using. You know, you're doing a, a pull request to add some feature that is improving that component as well as in that component, that component to build what you're offering to the marketplace. Um, So I I think there's a lot of intrinsic value in leveraging these open source uh, components because of what it does, you know, in the community and, you know, you're improving other components that other, you know, the same components that people might be using in different ways because of, you know, all that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, we all make each other better, right? I think that's kind of the thing is, you know, if I'm using some project and I'm able to contribute back to that, yeah, and that's really part of the big thing is we can give back to the community without having to give, give our actual application to the community, right? We can, all of those supporting projects. You brought up Android, but even going through like, you know, the, the iOS, um, you know, going through your iPhone and going through about and looking at all the open source licenses that uh, is consuming that product. I mean, it's obviously improving the world in so many ways. Um, and absolutely, I think it is a, it's a fascinating model. I mean, I remember talking about the cathedral and the bazaar and trying to explain the open source model, um, to people, um, you know, hearing, I don't know if it was Bill Gates at the, you know, Linux is a fad. Well, <laughs> I think it's more than that. And I think it has always been more than that. And the things that it enables it, it's easy to get passionate yeah. about. So. Well, you know, it's interesting with Linux. It's a good example of 
both the power but also the limitation of open source, right? It's kind of this amazing example in the sense that I remember when my, it was 1999, I remember this very clearly, 1998 or something, I'm over at my friend's house who's like way more of a, of a computer nerd than me. And I, he kind of got me into computers and he shows me Linux for the first time. This is brand new and it must've been Red Hat or something. And he had put all this work into the background. And I remember like I was used to Windows, it's clunky 98 or whatever. And he's showing me that his background is like transparent. He's got like these terminals that are transparent. And I'm just like, it's blowing my mind. And I'm just like, this is incredible. Um, and he said, this will be the future. Everyone will be moving away from Windows and they're all going to go to this. And I was like, I can see it. It's so cool. And then I, a few years later, I tried to do it. And I tried to kind of like start getting into Linux. And I was like, whoa, this is way hard. <laughs> I have to know command lines and stuff like that. And so what was interesting is we both kind of expected it to take over from Windows. But what ended up happening is that it did take over, just not on the consumer side. It took over on the in the uh, in the business side, this, the B two uh, B, and completely wiped out what is it? You know, Microsoft servers and Mac had a server and all these kind of websites. Well, yeah, like where completely where destroyed I, I that before. Like I mean, we we were a, a huge sun shop, right? So yeah, everything was yeah. Solaris, and right. now everything is Linux, and it's it's free. You can run it on community hardware, commodity hardware. You don't need these massive systems that are bigger than right. two refrigerators stuck together. It's so much easier. Yeah. Um, and even and even today you can still there's some decent distros that you can run as a as a consumer, but you kind of still have to be a little bit more tech savvy to really even want to do it. There's just such great options that are that are available. Windows has gone way better. I still dislike it, but it you know, Mac is is basically for me, kind of heaven, because I don't have to think about my operating system. I can just fo focus on my work. Um, right, you still get whereas, a shell. Yeah, whereas if I, yeah, exactly. If I get, if I do like a, an Ubuntu, it's because I want to kind of play and tinker and all that stuff. Um, so it's it's an interesting, you know, I think the open source world is, is you know, same with WordPress. You know, people, this is kind of what I'm doing with my product is um, I'm supporting WordPress and other platforms. And what I find is people love WordPress when they want to do something really kind of power, especially now these days, there's such great options out there like Wix and Squarespace and, um, and Webflow even. But if someone wants to do something, like I, I had a demo meeting with a, with a potential customer and he said, well, I want it to look exactly like this and work exactly like that. And I said, dude, our system isn't going to be designed this way. And it would take us to kind of pull everything apart code-wise to get it to work just for you. You should use WordPress and do your own thing. And you can do all that with a couple plugins. And he was like, oh, great. And so I, I think that there's this argument for, so it, knowing like who we're serving, right? So like for me, I'm not going to serve the kind of the power users of the consumers. I'm probably going to serve the more basic ones. Um, but that's, that's something that I think would be useful to think about with like, who's your target customer? Are they going to be the agency, like you're saying, who's serving the podcaster, which then in that case is going to be like hungry for that open source downloadable uh, you know, software that they, or, you know, Kubernetes project they can stick on a, uh, on an AWS, or are you serving the end user, which is the podcaster, which probably doesn't know anything about the back end or doesn't even, yep. know, even know what an RSS feed is. And so with that distinction of whether you're serving the basic person or the agency powering them could be the difference between how much your energy you put into the open source stuff or how much you just like host it for people, you know? For sure. And that is, so yeah, I mean, there are, so I do kind of have my, my avatars 
and so initially like they are the they are the end user right it's not an agency but it, it could work for an agency i've you know i've started managing people's kind of parts of their podcasts for them through this and so just that in general has kind of shown me that there's there's opportunity to do this sort of at scale for like managing multiple people's podcasts but today it it is for maybe somebody like my wife who doesn't have a ton of time who's outsourcing this and just wants to like make it simpler and so well, that's what, really the that's the start what do they say about podcasts you know if you can make it past your seventh one right so yeah. many podcasts yeah. start and stop so quickly why is that because it's more difficult mm. than people think it's not so much of a just hey i'll just record this stuff on my phone and i'll be an influencer before you know it right, right. well the the reality is there's a lot of stuff that you have to do um mm -hmm. taking out ums and ahs linking things together intros outros how to get your text to fly i mean all of these little things to build what you're hoping is high quality content that people will want to consume and you know again get you on the road to being an influencer if there's all of that friction well i got to i got to do this i got to convert this i have to put in variable bit rates i've got to you know encode this i've all of those things that you have to do so many frictions that's why a lot of people just yeah. don't have it in them because it takes a lot out of you a lot more than just your content and your passion yeah but all the stuff you have to know to hook it up to to actually get it to serve your audience, it's a lot of friction. If you can remove that friction, there's value. And a lot more people will be a lot more successful and have a lot more content that they can share past, you know, episode number seven, where most podcasts fall off. So I think it's um it, it's great to be able to remove these frictions where you can remove friction there is value and if you can demonstrate that and bring that value reduce friction for people you've got a market so absolutely yeah so so you mentioned um you kind of were you kind of mentioned at the uh at the beginning that this is could be kind of agency like but it's also SaaS like kind of makes me think of maybe partially like a productized service where you're kind of paying for a you're as a customer you're paying like a monthly price for some output, but some of that is automated and some of that is human, you know, generated or whatever. Um, is that kind of where you're thinking to start or are you trying to get yeah. automated right from the get-go? What's, what's the MVP look like? Well, I, I, ideally, as far as automation, I think it's really good, but I don't know that it's completely there yet, right? So over time, it gets better. And so that's kind of why uh, our model is sort of this AI-assisted, right? So. Mm -hmm you can go completely automated and if that suits you that suits you but sometimes you may you may want to update some other things or you may want to change some some stuff and we want to make that available too right i think my my big challenge here like for me is i can often get like too technical in features and like thinking people care too much about certain details that are they probably don't care about so for me i, I need to try to like work hard on not on not like overdoing things or overthinking things and so just kind of getting the main pieces understanding how the users are actually using it what they really want versus what i think 
they would want or whatever. Just just because you can configure it doesn't mean you should or it doesn't mean you have to and doesn't mean you need to expose that. And so for me, that's kind of been my my biggest thing is just trying to figure out what are the right pieces to present and and just make sure that's right. So I, I think I get hung up in in some of that yeah. stuff. But that's I think the ultimate right. We we can all get stuck on the on the details of a theory that we have about what people want. I've done that so many times where, you know, you start building a feature that no one's asking for. Whatever. Right, right, right. Um, yep. I, I have found so far in my journey that's been helpful. I kind of just turned on, once we kind of turned on our website, actually, so we turned on our website like good year before we actually launched the product, the MVP, and just started people, you know, started um, SEO optimization and some writing and blogging and stuff. And so we got kind of a trickle of people that were coming through and I just started to, to set up um, some pages where people could sign up for a demo um, to see what the product was like before we even launched it. Um, and I have to say that, that I just decided never to turn it off because I usually get, you know, basically one to two demos a week still um, with fresh new people giving me thoughts. And that's been really immensely helpful for me not falling too much into the trap of, building stuff that people don't need because I, I keep hearing patterns, you know, like I'll be able, like I've the number of times people were asking for a quiz. I would, at the beginning of the product, we didn't have a quiz feature. And it was just like every single time, do you have a quiz feature? Do you have a quiz? And it was like, I don't care about quizzes. I'm not into that. I wasn't even going to build it. But after like 10 of these stupid meetings, I was like, okay, you want a quiz? Let's get that. So, I mean, that, right. that could be something that, what do you, what have you done so far? You mentioned you have some people that you're already serving and how are you finding these folks? And, yeah. uh, and all that stuff. So I, I just know them, whether directly or through through introductions from somebody. But I, I don't have anything like you're talking about, and I think I I should have definitely have something like that, right? Where where I can have that that direct feedback. I just haven't like put it together. But I think there's no reason I shouldn't have it. Like so, I think having something where people can request a demo even before we launch it, I think that's. I think that's a great idea. So I think that's one of the things that I'll yeah, work yeah. on coming up here is just getting kind of talking about what it is. And it's a little bit harder too for me to kind of piece together all of the, like from a pricing perspective, all of the components, because if you were to combine all of these things, combine a human from an agency, combine this software and that software and that software and that software, it it's hard to figure out how to measure it. So I've been trying to, you know, I've been following kind of what, what Rob Walling put in kind of the SaaS playbook. And that's like, I'm just going to be kind of playing with that to, to see where that goes, but I should definitely be getting, I guess, yeah. getting some users to kind of come in and tell me like what, what they're looking for. And then understanding kind of, if we go to like the mom test book where I can understand like what, what problems they're solving now and what they're actually paying for that to get a better understanding of what the pricing is. I mean, it, it also has to be, it has to be reasonable for somebody, you know, if we want to get them to seven episodes, it has to one be easy, but also it can't cost $600 a month. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that, that, that's not going to be that point. feasible. I haven't read the playbook. Um, what's kind of your gist of like what he suggests for, I'm just curious, like what's he suggest for pricing and when you're just beginning, is there anything that you've taken away from that? Yeah. So in thinking about it, like you'll see the patterns, like they kind of make sense. Like once you, once he talks to them, so he talks about sort of like a, a usage-based pricing. So 
as people are growing their audience. So if you think like, so we use Klaviyo for one of our stores. And as we get more users on our list, our Klaviyo price increases. And so there's kind of that model and there's like a number of seats model and there's there's some some other ones. And then um, just recently, uh, Patrick Campbell, like I've been watching, he, he's been on a few podcasts and he's got some really interesting pricing strategies where he says, you know, you should be changing it like every three months. And instead of having just like, you know, one, two or three tiers, you have tiers with add-ons, right? So you can add on like, you know, this feature or that feature or that feature. And when I think about, you know, various other SaaS utilities or, or platforms we use, they do that, like the really good ones do. And so, uh, yeah, I'm still working through some of that, but um, it, overall the, the, the book does have sort of some general guidelines around that. And then coupled with the Patrick Campbell stuff, like I'm, I'm trying to implement it all and yeah that's gotta try and see Um, see where it goes that's cool i i think (laughs) makes me think like we are really behind i'm I'm with my part really behind with like any kind of thoughtful or or um personalized pricing like we haven't implemented that as just very vanilla like basic pro right now we're we're gonna look to to build another um, plan later on but it feels to me right now, I'm just so swarmed by just the product itself and getting these features out the door. I spent like the last three days with my face in GitLab, just like processing issues <laughs> and stuff. And I'm just like so behind with everything that I'm just like, when when our product gets to a certain point where that's where I, you know, I, I can just kind of rest and it's kind of like mature. Right now, I feel like we're still behind in terms of like feature set for even in like a MVP way. But um, I really want to do this. So well, that that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I guess that I I mean, I don't know. I I guess maybe, you know, with my birthday at all thinking about getting old, (laughs) you know, I, I think, you know, someone did me a disservice, you know, I I don't want to blame my parents because, you know, at least one of them's still alive. I don't want them to see this. (laughs) No, I do. But um you know it doesn't get easier like Mm -hmm. life um there is always going to be work to do and you know steve and i like talk you talk each other up give us give each other a shot in the arm like yeah you know that's true it's there there won't be a point where you rest well i think what i mean and i i totally hear you on that is i don't think i'm gonna rest in general I think once, but I do feel like I need to get the product to a point where people stop complaining about missing aspects. So if, for instance, I used to have a product, I did have a product still actually that I sell as a plugin. And the first couple of years, it was, it was like glare, it was glaringly obvious that it was missing this crucial function that it it was like half baked, you know? And I remember I didn't want to build. It was such a pain. It was going to be super complicated to build. And I, and we, but every like nine out of 10 support tickets were like, can I do this? And I would have to say, no, that's not what it does. And they'd be like, why? And they'd get mad. And I remember I, so me and my developer, we took it, we were supposed to do this in like three months, but it took almost a full year to finally implement that. And it was kind of like a rebuild of the product. And I have to say that once we did it, tickets just shot down. 
it was like finally it's like off my back and it was good enough and then, then there was just a maintenance aspect to it but it wasn't like what the hell is wrong with you why would you build this product and so that's kind of what i mean is and then i did other stuff i was busy doing other things but i think what i what i think will happen i estimate is that if we just get to a certain threshold then we can sort of slow down i can kind of take my eye off the ball in terms of code and features and maybe focus a little bit more on um kind of what uh, steve was talking about like the actual you know how can we make more money <laughs> profit changing the pricing around experiment a little bit and also marketing and really neglected marketing right now because i'm just so focused on getting this product kind of like to par well but yeah i hear what you're saying you shift your focus you start yeah. delivering value the value whether it be a feature mm -hmm. or you know, or the hard work of doing a rewrite to to bring more value to the product, you can then shift to delivering value and how it's marketed so more people yeah. understand the value more readily, which will bring, again, more value to the company because you'll have more revenue and be able to direct that into more development and everything else. Yeah. But yeah, so shifting your focus instead okay. of having to make it finally work or again software versus hardware software eventually works hardware eventually works. <laughs> right but but I being like able to cool. focus yeah. on okay it is delivering on xyz mm -hmm. and now i can help people understand what the xyz is more clearly um but so so shifting focus you you still have the hard work to do yeah true it will not it will not get easier for me i think yeah, well, I, and that was, the, I think for me, that was kind of the big revelation. And I think kind of Mark Manson talks about it best. Is like, what what are you willing to suffer for, right? Am I willing to suffer for a bunch of e-commerce stuff on Amazon, Shopify? No. Can I suffer through some technical debt that I created because I didn't know how to do this one way and I did something wrong and I have to fix it? Probably. And even then getting to the point where now your product is stable enough where you can, you can hire people to do some of those things and, and clean up some of the code and then start fixing it while you're focused on talking to users. Hey, how can we serve you better? Right. And then understanding them more, doing the marketing and then getting into, you know, it's still, there's going to be parts that you might not like it as much, but at least you like it enough that you're going to stick with it and not be like, you know what, that's it. Business shut down. Like it's yeah, good, really good point. I, I really like that. I what would what are you willing to suffer for? That that's a very um kind of stoic almost um reminder of well, you know, when you're in the trenches of this stuff, yeah, you you are suffering, but there's two ways to look at it. You're either like poor me, it's terrible, or yeah. it's you know, I'm you willing becoming? to do this. Yeah, exactly. This well, is part of the path. everybody else quits, right? And and so that's the thing is like the more you push through this, it just, I don't know, for me, it's like, I know that a lot of people won't, won't want to stick with this. They, it would be too hard. Right. And when it gets hard, that's, that's when you have to double down because that's when most people give up. Right. And so just pushing through that and it may suck while you're doing it. You may you know, have to write code when you're sick or on Thanksgiving, but all of those things, like it, there's something rewarding to it. And that, I guess it builds character, right? When you're, you're doing those things that other people won't do, you know, that's going to give you the, the opportunities that other people won't get. 
Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a really good point. Um, and and uh, there's a lot of I think we talked about this last time. There's a lot of um, questioning of one's faith in terms of you hear all this advice, just do this, just do that, and it'll work out. And then it's like, will it? Is it really working out? And even when you get pretty far, you're still questioning. I mean, I was just on the um, the microconf slack for the group that i think that we met i met you and steve and uh i don't know if you know some of the comments in there but they were like you know i just i'm now at the 1000 mrr mark i thought this would be so hard to get to but now i'm finding it was easy to get here and now it's getting hard now i can't see yep. go past this and so it's like you think you know you think oh they're far they're pretty far you know into this they're, they must know that they've got this working and then you know they're having this existential crisis so it's, yeah you think they got it all figured out <laughs> yeah turns out nobody really does you're just right. kind of winging it all all the way exactly. through exactly well cool well, well thanks for sharing about the product i'm excited to hear more about it as you go and i know that you'll have more to share um any i thought we might kind of do a quick some quick updates about kind of um where we're at with our different projects uh, jeff do you have any kind of updates on on yours and have you thought about anything kind of crystallized since last time oh yeah oh yeah and talk about the grind um you know there was a there was a joke i don't know if it was a joke i think a buddy of ours um when we were younger i think he was going to like the guitar institute or something like that and um, the joke was you know hey what'd you do this weekend and he says well i, I learned the blues all of it yeah. <laughs> and you know, how do you quickly become the master of something? You really don't. You have to put in the time. You do have to suffer through it. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say I suffered, but I went through a pretty deep dive uh, tutorial myself this past weekend um, and basically built a full MERN stack. So I, oh. so kind of zero to hero um you know found some online resources steve pointed me to a few uh to really get a framework built up for authentication and uh, uh you know identity creating users um you know so mern you know mongo backend uh express okay, i was just gonna ask like, if you could define that for the yeah for the so listeners. mongo express react and the n is uh node, node. so Nice. Putting all of that together to build a back end and a front end, you know, uh, you know, I'm simply being pushed into this. You know, it's all Steve's fault. He's like, you know, <laughs> he said you had this idea for years. It's time to it's time to create it, and so uh, just taking the steps to do that. So from zero to hero, you know, over the weekend, now I have a full um, auth framework and nice something you got so you have authentication already you can log in and you can see something edit your profile you can nice file and um and then from there it's going to be extending that hmm. so once you have the concept of identity and authentication now we can start to build out build out uh, you know other qualities so i want uh kind of a multi-tenancy uh being able to attach um, objects to these users so that they can manage objects and then from there you know get into the nuts and bolts of what that is again i think we spoke a little bit about you know it's going to be a mix of hardware and software and so there's um, it's the product is going to be a mix of hardware and software you're going to you mean you're going to so, have 
So it will it will be a software product that helps you manage hardware. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I was, I was about to say to my, I was thinking to myself, knowing Jeff, which I don't know you too well, but knowing about your background, I'm going to guess your product has to do with something IT and management of some sort of infrastructure. Yeah. For sure. It's, but it's going to be, once, once we exactly. get into the nuts and bolts of what it is, you know, much later, we'll yeah. talk about, um, it, yeah, the obviousness of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, I think there's a market for it. Um, I'm not the only person in town, you know, I'm not going to be the only shop in town with uh, this capability. But again, it does exist. Do you, do you know of any do you know of any products that are similar, at least partially? Yeah, but the implementation of it is going to be different. Um, okay. You know, I'm sure everybody says that. And I think more accessible and easier for, uh, for that market to do what they want to do. Again, it's about nice. removing friction as much yeah. as possible uh, because there's a lot of value there. You know? Nice. So, well, it's funny because like, I think that the initial – uh, the intuition that most people kind of follow is, oh, I've got to make sure that my product, there's no competitors out there because then I'll lose. But I would say the opposite is probably more true. Like if, if there's not anyone making this product after, you know, how long IT been around, then that would be more concerning. But it sounds like there, there might is be something a out there. For that. Right, exactly. There's a reason for it, but maybe your version and your take on it, the execution is, is what is the magic, um, you know. It's kind of one of those things it. like I... I don't understand why people haven't made this easier. Okay, made it easier, right? I don't understand, you know, you know, in this market, you know, with all of the enhancements and improvements we have in technology, that somebody hasn't put the recipe together to make this really accessible, really easy, um, because the value and where the industry is going in this particular area. Um, I think there is a very strong possibility that uh, it'll be a good business. Who knows? It'll probably get bought immediately. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay, right? Um, I that's think very okay. Yeah, I think for me, um, having been in the business around this particular vertical and understanding what's in the market and what the capabilities are, um, yeah, I think it's a good recipe. We'll we'll let you know more as yeah yeah. Goes, sure. But since last week, you know, full stack developer. It's, yeah. So now maybe now you are I maybe so okay. it doesn't take well that long. I don't know. As a technologist, you know, we we used to build things with lamp stacks, right? And that was yeah, Linux, Apache, MySQL, or Perl, PHP. You know, Python. Pick pick one of the P's. But that was a lamp stack, and that's what people were building their. Yeah databases in front of and that i would argue and maybe i'll get into this in another episode but um i would argue that that is still a great option for people to 100%. do yeah um especially because and what i kind of one thing that i've learned as i've hired developers on my team over the years is if you want to uh spend a lot less money don't choose the most unique and amazing new hot sexy uh, stack that sounds exactly. Like, exactly unless you could unless you plan to code it all. But I I knew a guy that that he he started his SaaS on some kind of new obscure stack that Google was just barely putting out on the market, and he was like I can't find any developers that know how to do this thing. 
one guy wants $300 an hour. And I was like, yeah, I'd pay about 25. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something to think about, but if you're, but if you also at the same time, you know, you're kind of finding the middle road, which is, uh, you know, no, and all the things you said are pretty well tried and true. They're so established. Tried yeah. and true. Exactly. Um, you know, especially like, and, and listen, there's, there's complexities and nuances, you know, oh, I have to use Redux because I need to, you know, manage state and, the, and like all of these other things that kind of plug into that. Um, and Steve was even telling me, oh, oh yeah, Tailwind. Tailwind is probably where yeah. I want to get to. And, you know, that's the latest. And like, okay, well, your point about, is it commonplace enough to where you'll find resources that are excellent in it, that are for hire and, you know, there's a competitive market for those skills so that you can shop around for good resources to do it. So uh, I'll get into my investigations on cool. Tailwind. Um, yeah. And Tailwind I know is, is pretty solid. So, I mean, I, yeah. we've thought about that ourselves, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely a good question. Um, that's a exciting. Lot more set up, right. A lot more. Yeah. Um, and some right. of it is just made simple uh, because it's been around for a while. Yeah. So I don't know, getting totally. into it, it's going to be fun. You know, what I have up here is amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, Wait, no, somebody can, I I can relate to that. Right, right. That's exciting. Well, I will, uh, I don't have too much. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, I had a, I had a customer that joined last week. She was very enthusiastic and, and maybe for Black Friday, she was like, I have a big sale. I'm you know, launching my course this week. And I need it done now. And there was some kind of glitch. And so I, I worked with her to get it done. And so she was able to launch it, you know, on her expected timeline. Um, but so she made lots of money from her launch. I was looking at her numbers in, in our system and I was like, wow, she did really well. I was expecting like a really like, oh, this is great. And then I think out of like the hundreds of sales, she had like two or three that had a glitch when they signed up and she was like furious and like, emailing me, you better get this fixed. It was just insane. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, as I was thinking about what Steve said, like I was very put off and in a little bit of a mood. And I was like, you know, listen, this is not a replicable. It's not like a replicatable problem that's happening every time. It's a very difficult thing to troubleshoot. She was like, when will this be fixed? And I was like, I don't even know how to replicate this. <laughs> and so I'm trying to explain this to her and it's back and forth. And I'm thinking like, what am I doing this for? You know, so this this uh chat today uh the you know the quote from mark manson will has helped me uh yeah will be helping me this week as i kind of deal with it but i was like i did think earlier today i was like you know whatever she's found a glitch this is probably a great opportunity we can kind of go back into this and make sure things are even more solid than, than we thought they were right. so everything's an opportunity if you just kind of were willing to look at it but yeah it was a it was kind of a stressful weekend with that um, just because of the, uh, you know, it, everyone's different. And sometimes customers will put up with so much and sometimes they will, they're very intolerant. Um, but, but especially when you're a bootstrapped company, like we are with very limited resources. And then we're kind of going up against these big behemoths that are, you know, millions of dollars of funded. Um, it, it is interesting to kind of like, they don't get that a customer doesn't care. They just want to see things work. So, Oh, oh they get it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, does the owner operator hear yeah. That's Probably true. not. But um, the experience you're creating with that, and I think part of the thing too, like I want to stay close to the users. And so I, I think that that's where a lot of companies can go awry or even start building features when they, you know, it comes down to like, well, we have a customer who will pay us so much money. So now we need that feature as opposed to like, that's just one customer. It's maybe not 
the majority, right? So you're you're actually talking to the person who's yeah. using it. They they might be fussy, but I, I think I think fixing that for them and like working with them like that that builds a relationship. And I think it says more about like the company, you know, so even, even if they have a, a bad experience, but you fix it, right, that, that right there is going to be something, you know, if they're recommending a platform, they're going to recommend you like, hey, you know, I, I did have some some issues, but, you know, I, I talked to the the owner, right, and he, he like helped me, he answered the phone, he talked to me, he, he was there, as opposed to I, I talked to some outsourced chat bot, right, in in some other country or whatever. And I don't know if it understood what I said. And it like told me it would fix it in like an hour, sent me like some email and then it didn't. And then I had to chat back with the chat bot and, and I tried to tell it I wanted to talk to a human, but it, it said it was, or it said it, it. That's a really elaborate became, story, Steve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's a it good sentient. And, yeah. I mean, I think if you can, as you scale, I think what you're kind of talking about, like it's we're we're in a place where we're, we're not doing things. That are, I'm not, you know, this is not a scaling thing. It's not great for the founder to be doing this from a scaling perspective, but from a, from an early stage, it, you're right. I think it is best if I can have these connections. I actually met with her one-on-one -on -one for like a demo last week and, and that was probably good, but now, <laughs> we'll see if I can keep it up with this. Um, but it is interesting. How do we create, you know, maybe down the road, how do I, how do we, as we scale? Maybe you create a concierge level. Yeah, exactly. Plan. That includes mm -hmm. real live human interaction, yeah, and you know, or you know, yeah. some way to help onboard those customers. Yeah, sure, it's the upper tier, right? But we will meet with you, understand, you know, how you're using our software. We'll understand. We'll create a relationship. That's worth something. Something, and totally. it's part of the upper tier service. You know, this yeah. is, you know, certainly common in open source software what are you paying for when you're you know when you're purchasing linux well it's it's a subscription right we're very familiar with what that is SaaS is all about it right but it's a subscription for expertise and help and mm -hmm. being able to open tickets and someone to talk to so um you know the the linux yeah, business point. we're in they have premium support that's an actual person that is assigned to your account that you know by name. So when you have problems, you know, I talk to Bob or I like it. Or Alice and they open my tickets and they they help me troubleshoot and they're with me and I can escalate to them. So you know, that whole model, again, another yeah. great opportunity Beautiful. to talk about how do I help these people that, you know, we successfully got them launched and they're making money. But oh, three out of a hundred didn't go so well. Let's talk about it. And yeah, exactly. That's a good point. And that's not where I'm at. I'm at still the you know, I'm at kind of the the, the levels aren't there. That's kind of what I mentioned earlier about pricing. Like that's that's where I need to get to where we can sure. have that differentiation differentiation of uh, of service for, for the product. Think about so. think about support. I mean Yeah, totally. You know, what yeah, I'll send you the support? link. Um Patrick Campbell, it was on one of the, I think it was on one of the microcomp channels. Um, cool. He, cause he recently exited. And so he did something at, I forget whatever, whatever um, conference they had, but he talked all about like his pricing models and how he changed it all. And just, it was really yeah. interesting. Like I, I never thought about some of those things. So let's put it in, I'll, can we put it in the show notes um, as well? Yeah. Any I'll, of our listeners. We can also yeah. I'll, I'll share that. That was awesome. super useful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, any um, 
I guess as we wrap up now, any uh, any thoughts about the the OpenAI saga and how it all wrapped up? Were you surprised yeah. when last <laughs> week we were like right after we talked about it and you know gave advice to the world about how to solve that problem? Well, <laughs> it you know everybody rolled it back, rolled it back. So right. talk about support. You know, if you want to, if you're having a bad day, and you know you have a thousand you know thousand employees. And 998 sign up and said, yeah, you're right. You know, um, it's got it. That's, that's, that makes for a pretty good day. You feel like, uh, you you know, vindicated or whatever. And I don't know. I thought it was pretty interesting how they rolled stuff back, rolled it back. And, um, you know, what, what's the joke? Like if you go into a somewhere and, you know, you, you're kind of like pointing out how everybody's the a-hole and, could be you're the a-hole kind of thing I th- you know i'm paraphrasing wildly but um I-, I think it was good what ultimately happened sam going back um and kind of uh setting things right certainly um that made yeah. me a lot more confident about my use of of chat gpt and you know leveraging that platform and you know their apis and everything else um well i think the genie's out of the bottle right you you can't take it back right now so claude stepping up and, and all of these other competitors are going to come in and so like they, they've i think there's been a lot of destabilization or even just seeing like how how sensitive one thing is so there is i think for people who are consumers of of ai like it, it's going to be great because there is going to be that competition and yeah while OpenAI is still probably a dominant player, their their ability to you know kill the company pretty fast was was revealed. And so, like while they were able to save it, I think it it may have scared some people or enough people that now other other offerings could start to get a foothold. Totally, but yeah. that that then challenges the competitors. Absolutely, to compete. Right. Yeah, you know, which is just a, which is good for all of us. Yeah. Well, so half of that is good. It's good for all of us. The competition. I think one of the outstanding questions was, you know, the testing, the vetting, the security, the, you know, the what if scenarios. Um, you know, there there was kind of a challenge thrown out about, well, they want to go too fast. They want to right. release, you know, weapons of mass destruction without them being thoroughly tested. Or who's to say this, you know, this thing in the hands of, you know, a bad actor couldn't act badly? Well, nothing. So I think there's a lot of just good conversation that came out of it, um, if nothing else. But competition is good for the market. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I think you're right. Answer. And I, I think it's it's really a fine you know, line between is it, you're right, is, is more competition safer for us or is more competition more dangerous? Because if everyone's rushing towards pushing and developing this into the future, again, I, my, my, I was thinking about it over the weekend, I was like, you know, the big difference to me is with AI versus humans, if you want to kind of pit us against each other. Uh, one is, it's like the, the pace at which they're trying to, to cram more transistors into a chip or whatever, and more complex chips, is is this incredibly fast-paced, you know, um, um, movement that only increases and gets faster and faster and faster. 
compared to this, which doesn't get to improve at all. <laughs> we're stuck with our hardware and it doesn't, we're not going to be able to get the next chip next year. So unless, so that's not a good situation for the long run. So the faster that happens and the faster we're running towards that goal is what concerns me. The AI is going to get smarter and the AI is going to get more powerful. It's now going to uh, maybe include less, you know, not just statistics, but actually, you know, if it can, if it can put in some solid, like, uh, algorithmic math into it and really understand what it's talking about instead of just pulling answers from the internet, it's going to get freaking smart. And, and yet it's going to be able to increase its hardware power exponentially. Whereas we're going to be on the sidelines with just this state solid, you know, the state of hardware, uh, which is, I guess why some have talked about you, you know, if we're going to survive, we're going to either have to merge with it so that we can upgrade our hardware or, uh, or be the, the Neanderthals of, of, right, <laughs> of our right, era. Right. So yeah. I don't know. How, how far out is, you know, cyberpunk, right? How far out is yeah. that we're starting to augment? I think we're already augmenting our way, you know, our, uh, our access to knowledge has augmented the ability also, to use it. You know, what is like Neuralink? So like, didn't Elon a few months ago, like he got, I think they got approval to do like trials, right? So, mm. so they could start like implanting these chips. Like the there was that Black Mirror episode where people would get that chip implanted in them, right? And so, I mean, maybe maybe that's coming. I I don't know when I'll volunteer it for it, but surprise me at all. You know, uh, I don't know. My dad, you know, was uh, when he was a little kid. He talked about like the Dick Tracy comics, you know, in the newspaper, oh, yeah. or whatever talking about the communicator on their wrists, you know, and they get, yeah. If those thoughts, if that creativity, if that, you know, that thought hadn't been a cartoon and imagining of the future, would we have built it? It's a good I, point. So I, I think there is, you know, a lot of this stuff. Well, I saw this episode of blah, 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 and it had this. That's what gave me the idea to actually build that. Right. Exactly. So I, I don't know. There's it's a not... really great episode of of the original Star Trek. I think it's like I don't know. It's the second season or something, and it's where it's really fascinating. I just watched it in the, the last year when ChatGPT came out. But it's basically like this AI takes over. They they install this new AI that controls the ship, and it's like it's fascinating to watch because the tension of of Kirk as he's confronting this thing. There's like, okay, you know, Captain, it's it's gonna do all of you now don't worry about it and he's just like what and he's <laughs> he was very upset about it and i was like i know exactly how he feels but you know a year ago i wouldn't have really related at all to it yeah so you're right they do it's like these things project they tell the future so if if we're paying attention and i think right. there's there's the there's some of the challenge is what things do you pay attention to i know that there's a whole side of this you know the ethics side of ai and I think it's good that we are having those conversations, that we're thinking through these scenarios. Um, you know, AGI, right? And getting into that, um, you know, Altman has some some ideas around AGI when things are generally smarter than humans. Um, I think that's where a lot of the the contemplation yeah. is going to be done. A lot of the guidelines, you know, Biden signing a, like we said, you know, signing an executive order putting some guardrails around AI and what it can and can't be used for, or certainly not, you know, us paying attention 
again, paying attention to. Uh, yeah, it's the best chance. We, it's the best hope we have uh, yeah. <laughs> to stay relevant. So, yeah. but it, but I do think there will be this incredible golden era of, of just magic, you know, dreams come true that AI will help us with for a while. Yeah, I, I think we're there, right? Like this is we're back at the internet, right? So like right yeah. now, like taking advantage of all of it. Like we're in. I think we're in an awesome spot. I do just I agree now a matter of of harnessing it and then I I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did on my you know MERN learnings and deployments um I I definitely used nice chat GPT to kind of explain some things Mm. um, and it was fantastic it didn't it's much easier than Google (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah. You're not searching like through Stack Overflow and <laughs> right. figure out like it's just telling you like you're right. trying to Google some obscure piece of code and it just knows right like and you don't nice have to the whole time ads and yeah it is amazing yeah no, every I mean, time I'd say well what about this it, it'd say certainly it's <laughs> it his favorite word is certainly certainly or, yeah it it uh it was a pleasant experience and I you know. 10 out of 10, I use it again to continue my journey. It is helping me upgrade. Yeah. It is putting me in, you know, in the right place with the right information. Mm. Um, I still think trust, but verify, you know, obviously people have talked about, yeah, it'll, it'll say things. What was, I think I laughed because I was asking it about, um, oh, it was telling me to update you know, and get, I was trying to install something and I'm, I had my Linux of choice. I was using OpenSUSE and it was trying to tell me to add a repository, a software repository. And it came up with this and, you know, very authoritative and blah, blah, blah. And here, do this and add this to your zipper repos. I'm like, that's a Debian, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, and I just called it, you know, I kind of said, I think you are specifying a Debian format for the repo. That's not going to work on OpenSUSE. And just like, oh, yeah, you're right. So sorry about that. And so it was like, you know. Yeah. Or sometimes it'll it'll apologize and then give you the same thing again. This one yeah. Like... <laughs> or give you a package that doesn't exist and an implementation right. of how to do it yeah. um, for like some mythical, mythical totally. software package. Yeah. Yep. So. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It is funny. It's 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 kind of making me a little relieved that it's not as like when it does that. I'm just like, and it's actually I find it. I thought at the beginning when it came out, I was like, I don't need to, you know, I, I'll just be able to code like all day with this thing. It'll make amazing things. <laughs> and I'm realizing like, no, I still need I still need like people who are like because I I kind of lost my edge with coding, and so I've I've got developers now that are better they understand it better than i do and so i i thought with chat gpt i could basically you know maybe i don't maybe i don't Get even need developers it. anymore i was like no i still need them but anyway yeah. well cool it's it's uh it's a lot we covered today um and i'm i think maybe next time uh we can kind of decide if we want to get it maybe you could decide if you want to chat a little bit more about your thoughts uh jeff uh from what you whatever comes up next time or or we could go into a different direction. But anyway, it's great chatting with you guys today. Yeah, you too. Last Likewise. Yeah. Working right. towards nope. an MVP. Good. Yep. Good catching sounds up. Good. We'll see you next time. All right. Sounds great. Okay.